I guess before we get going, do you want to stay as Professor X with this? Who the hell is Professor X? That's what Colin was calling <laughs> you whenever we were like, ah, we don't know if he wants to be Well, identified. we can just clarify that and just, you know, appreciate the concern there. But yeah, what we do is out in the open and uh, I'm not trying to hide it. It's kind of what I figured, but I just, yeah. I wanted to have your permission with it before yeah. I went with it. Yeah. So yeah, Augie, thanks for joining me. Yeah, pleasure. So Iboga Ibogaine has always fascinated me mm -hmm. because it's the one, I mean, I honestly, it's the one I've been most scared of because of the cardio properties mm -hmm. of it. You know, hearing that, I guess before you even go with it, what's your background? What got you into plant medicines? And then what experience did you have with plant medicines before working as a facilitator with Ibogaine? Okay. So I wasn't a facilitator uh, with Ibogaine. Okay. Right. My initial experience was to experience it with a, a SEAL brother. Um, I think at the time he was still active and going to be retiring within a couple of months, uh, who had uh, multiple brain injuries and PTSD. And we had crossed paths at the Brain Treatment Center at Mission Viejo Hospital like a year, a little over a year before. Okay. And that's how we connected. So what brought me to there? Well, my own, I had a couple of brain injuries, experienced PTSD, went through many years of trying to figure out what it was and how to make things better and so forth. And and that involved a lot of years where I just gave myself over to the VA. I was like, okay, finally, you know, I can't figure it out. Nothing's getting better. Tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, that led to 13 different medications, you know, and just a bunch, just things got worse and worse. And um, I eventually titrated off of most of them. And then I had a, another brother tell me about a brain treatment center in Newport Beach where he had a breakthrough. Right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to go up there. Okay. Drove up there, um, met the founder, Yin Li, who's a medical doctor from China, but also an electrical engineer, which is really interesting. And he let me sit in a presentation that he was providing to a bunch of doctors and PhDs about you know, the, the technology behind it, which is... Uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation that is personalized so that rather than just using the FDA approved protocol which is left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex 10.2 hertz for major depression that has been resistant to medications they take a quantitative EEG of brain activity and use that as a means of targeting where the 1.5 Tesla coil will be placed and to determine the frequency of stimulations electromagnetic stimulation which induces the firing of uh, neural activity. Right. I did that, and uh, at the as I got home after the first treatment, I started to dream again. I hadn't dreamt in a dozen years. Huh. And I actually became lucid and dreamed, jumped up in bed in the middle of the night. Oh my God, I've been dreaming, you know. And my sleep had been like two to three hours a night for a decade, it was horrible. And I'd been given medications to put me asleep and medications right. to wake me up. And so I was never really asleep or never really awake. And yeah, it was just really horrible. And uh, I continued on that treatment and found it to be very useful for me. Very small company, didn't have any training. Uh, so I volunteered and I developed a training for the technicians. You could ask four people in the company the same question and get four different answers. So yeah. that needed to be dealt with. And then we opened a clinic at Mission Viejo Hospital and it was there for about a year. And then they, they wanted to expand and open a clinic in San Diego. So they asked me to open a clinic in San Diego as the clinical director. And I did that. And I think it was about nine, ten months after I'd done that where this guy came back and said, hey, somebody said I could go down to Mexico. What do you think? And prior to that, every morning at the clinic, I would 
study research on anything having to do with PTSD and TBI, and I came across a lot of research about psychedelics. It was just clearly something's going on here. Right. Right. But I had a real negative impression that kind of tied back to uh, college where a Green Bray brother who'd just come back from Vietnam put LSD in my beer at a concert. And it was a horrible experience. And ever since I thought, you got to be a moron to take psychedelics. Why would anybody want to do that? So that was your only prior psychedelic experience? Yeah. Well, I did take mushrooms once, a small dose of mushrooms that that wasn't bad. But still, you know, I, I just had this impression that it was really dangerous. Right. But I haven't I hadn't really looked under the hood and explored further. So I began to read everything I could and then I began to search for people who were facilitating and I came across, you know, some guy t shirt says Solomon Shaman Sean. Oh, okay, you know. That turns out to be a bit of a clusterfuck. And I just ran into a lot of people who uh, it was like the Wild West, you know, and they're selling snake oil and stuff mm-hmm. and it was but I did keep going and asking questions and people in the medical field and was directed to people who were supposedly the best in their field in California and so forth. And that, that was very helpful. And, um, so when this guy reached out to me, I said, I'm, I'm interested. Let me talk to the doctor involved. And so I actually went up and met him in San Francisco and it's a Mexican doctor. And, and then, uh, I joined in and I had the experience with him and it was, uh, I began on a Friday night. Uh, first, you get a uh, an EKG uh, in Tijuana, and then I begin Friday night, and then the Sunday morning is uh, a toad uh, venom experience, 5-MeO-DMT. And then I supported the organization, which at the time was called The Mission Within. That it's kind of spun off by itself, and then vets came from that. So it was mm-hmm. this doctor and Marcus and Amber Capone, and I supported the weekend retreats for about a year in 2018 and 19, a little less than a year. And... Uh, had two experiences myself and then witnessed a whole bunch of experiences from, you know, all the other guys. Could be anywhere from three to five people in a weekend. And uh, yeah, learned a lot from it. So, I mean, this podcast is the trip report. So let's talk about that first Ibogaine experience that you had. Yeah. So um, I had read that, uh, you know, Ibogaine had potential cardiotoxic effects and I started looking into what that was about and and that it it uh, changes the way calcium moves through cells right and I also had heard about um, how it had been so effective for people who had been addicted to opiates or heroin or you know could be almost anything and they could very quickly come out of that without the withdrawal effects and so forth you know it's that was really super interesting to me and I had been well I had planned on going to medical school way back and took prerequisites. I just, I just never had the patience to do anything for very long. So yeah. <laughs> uh, tied into the brain injury, I think. And uh, but I started just reading everything I could about neuroscience and the brain. And I, one thing that was really interesting to me is that astrocytes, which are these white matter cells that uh, act as kind of conductors for three-dimensional domains of neurons. They track all of the activity of neurons, right? Inputs, outputs, and the timing of everything. And they communicate with each other via calcium wave signaling throughout the cortex. You know, I thought, whoa, that could be why it's so beneficial for a brain that's been knocked out of whack. Because ultimately, from what I have seen and read, its brain function is really tied to timing of communication. You know, a neuron requires 20 to 50 inputs from adjacent neurons within a 50 millisecond window in order right, to activate an action potential and send the information along to pass it along. 
And so if the timing of surrounding networks and neurons is off, then there's this constant banging on the door and then you don't get enough of them within that window in order to trigger and then you've got brain fog and all kinds of problems. And we had seen that at Brain Treatment Center. We take quantitative EEGs and you can see this disparity of the firing rate of, of neural networks uh, can be as low as like five or six hertz in the frontal cortex and 30 <laughs> in the posterior brain. And that, you know, that really causes a lot of problems. And so that was really interesting to me to see, to experience what it was about and mm-hmm. to explore it. And so I said yes. I was not still suffering a lot of negative symptoms, um, but I did want to take the opportunity to explore. So I went in, and we got dosed on that Friday night. Well, prior to dosing, they have uh, they had at that time uh, some Mexican doctors, or actually interns uh, from a local hospital, that would come in and they'd hook you up with IV and so forth. And uh, that experience was very negative. It took 45 minutes. It was. Like, I couldn't imagine anybody doing a worse job. (laughs) So that, well, okay, kind of shady. So they just weren't hitting the vein? No, no, they were very bad at what they were doing. uh, But it was a beautiful site, you know, and Airbnb right on the beach, beautiful home and everything. And the support staff was wonderful. It's just the medical professionals involved, I thought, were really substandard. And uh, so I got dosed and uh, laying in bed. So is the dose capsules or is it given through the IV? Capsules. Okay. Yeah. So what was in the IV itself? They just had a port. So if they needed to Uh, juice you up with something, if you were having some cardiac effects or if they needed to give you some saline solution or something, they could, right? And then they, you're hooked up to an EKG and so they can monitor and see what's going on. And then they give you eye shades and music starts and, and uh, I don't recall exactly how long it was for it to start to unfold, but it's probably somewhere in the area of 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, I- interesting in, in, in that visuals come that are, are kind of gray, brownish, kind of not a lot of colors or you know, interesting things that you might experience with some of the other psychedelic experiences. And I was told that, yeah, you're just going to see a video of the events of your life, you know, and it's going to unfold I'm like well okay Um, there was a lot of activity but it was all fractured there was no specific events that I could make sense of or there would be partial faces would come through and so forth and and then I'd have some experiences I would see uh, and couldn't really make sense of I couldn't recall them actually being life events or anything and and this uh, went on still in the brownish tones yeah yeah and this went on for about eight hours during the course of that had to go to the bathroom, got up, you know, had someone help me in because it was very wobbly, and uh, back. And periodically, I'd get the sense that somebody was in, had entered the room. I'd open, take the shades out to check. No, nope, no, you know, just it was just exploration for me. With the shades up, were there any noticeable visual changes? Um, not much. No. Okay. No, you 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 could actually lay there in the bed and. And then perceived with the with the eye shades on that there were people walking around, and then check, and then nobody's there. Or another time, perceive somebody standing by a check, and then there's a doctor looking at your EKG or something, you know. And it just uh, it's just the way it went. Mm-hmm. And then I had this uh, really uh, uncomfortable experience of seeing my son blow the front of his head off with a shotgun. I'm like, what the fuck is that? What am I supposed to learn from this? You know, I was like, whoa. And, uh, and that was, the, I, I guess, the 
uh, most dramatic uh, experience from it. So other than that, not, not a lot of it really actually made sense to me. What did you make of that seeing your son? I mean, was, was it like an age specific? Like, was it the, the age your son currently was? Yeah, 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 it was. So looking back now, you know, that years have passed and you know, your son, thank God, is still with us. Yeah. What do you make of witnessing that? Like, what, what do you think lesson well, there was to learn? I had, uh, since I began work with, uh, at the Brain Treatment Center and really kind of engaging the community of veterans and military again, I'd been... Um, exposed to a lot of people uh, that I have come, come to know, right, or had known in the past who had killed themselves and for a lot of different reasons. And so I had been reading a lot about suicidal ideation and what drives it and the trauma involved. And I was aware that my son had been bullied quite a bit in grade school, something I was not aware of at the time because I just was constantly working. And so I had a lot of guilt about that, and I, I could see how it affected him and kind of contracted his life a bit. And uh, although he, at the time, was well and uh, thriving, um, perhaps just my fear that that could occur. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It never really made any sense. And then when I, when I uh, woke up and then the therapist who was running the retreat came in and said, hey, can I ask you a question? So these things that we see happening, right? Can they be, can they foreshadow events that actually will occur? She says, oh, yes. I'm like, oh, fuck, you know. Uh, well, and she had uh, described herself as a therapist, and I found that she wasn't. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who say that they're a therapist and they're, they're, you know, they're guides. They went to a school to, create, to understand how to guide or facilitators or whatever. But the word therapist, I think, is thrown around yeah. quite more often than it should be. And then I, you know, I felt fine, and I went out like 8 o'clock in the morning, and there's a bunch of fruit, had some fruit, and felt, you know, fresh, that kind of, like a fresh shower, you've cleaned off every part of your being, so to speak, and and then went out on the beach and went for a run, and, and uh, jumped in the ocean, and then I started hearing somebody yelling and screaming at me, it was one of the guys who was helping out who had been through previously, and... Uh, and I came in and he's like, what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to be resting. <laughs> you know? I'm like, hey, I feel fine, you know. And so it can be apparently really difficult for people, uh, really tough ride. That's, that wasn't my experience. Well, it sounds like your headspace going in was already pretty good. It was, yeah. And uh, one of the other guys that went through his experience was, was everybody was like a cartoon character. And, and so he, it, for him, the whole thing was just this long cartoon <laughs> yeah and and for the other guy it was really dark right and um, involved a lot of his dark experiences uh, both you know combat but also back in childhood and which yeah. I come to understand is super common and that most of the people that uh, we have served um, uh, th that are veterans you know they had significant childhood trauma that drove them in the direction of entering the military in the first place mm -hmm. in order to seek safety and strength and find a tribe and so forth. And so we had a variety of experiences there. And, uh, and the other two guys were not comfortable getting out and going anywhere for until the end of the day, you know, on Saturday. And uh, that I found it was interesting. And then the next day we, we then had the... Uh, 
toad experience Sunday morning. And so that was my first Ibogaine experience. So start to finish, about how long was that experience? Uh, probably eight for me. Okay. Eight, nine. Yeah, because I've heard any. I've heard people say up to like 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Some, some people, it's a really long ride for them. You know, we all take up these molecules at different rates. We metabolize them at different rates. And, you know, it's... Uh, it, Ibogaine and Iboga both, there's uh, a pretty wide, wide range of experiences. One of the guys that was there that week and a support member, also a former team guy, had done Iboga, and that for him was a 36-hour ride. Yeah. Right? Uh, and his Ibogaine ride was about 12 hours. Okay. And probably on average, maybe 10, 12 hours. Gotcha. Um, and for the people, and I don't know how many people there were, like, 60, 80, I don't know, after that, whose, whose trips I supported, uh, they tended to range between 12 and as long as 18. Okay. Yeah. So nothing too crazy on round one, but then you had the experience to go round two with 100 micrograms of LSD. Yeah, and that one, um, somebody didn't arrive at the airport, so there was extra bed all set up, and and uh, all the resources were, were there and available, and... Uh, I had uh, I had given the the Mexican doctor some pretty strong negative feedback about some of his behaviors mm -hmm. and the way he was doing things and uh, and he's like, well, uh, <laughs> I want to take this spot. Yeah, that'd keep me out of his hair. You know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And we can add a hundred uh, mics of LSD. A lot of people up in the Bay Area are trying. They like it. And they're like, hmm. Being some as good, more better kind of guy for most of my life, I thought, yeah, okay. So, had you had other than that being dosed in the beer in college, had you had an LSD experience prior to this combination with the ibogaine? No. Okay. Interesting. No, no I had experienced uh, uh, psilocybin, uh, the toad venom, ketamine, MDMA, uh, but not LSD. Okay. And and the way I had gone about, so I guess actually that was part of the reason that I, I took the first experience is I feel that I need to experience something and understand it well before I can recommend it to anybody else. I'm in the same boat. I feel and, that 100%. Yeah. And so people are asking me about it. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Yeah. And so I, you know, jumped on board and then. Um, he suggested that this might be you know, more beneficial than I began by itself. And I'm like, well, I'm an old guy and this is my thing. I'm going to go ahead and just explore and test the waters and report back. You know? And so that's what I did. So I said yes. Yeah. Laid down, got plugged in, took the, the meds and uh, music goes on and didn't take very long before... Uh, it was clear this was going to be a very different ride. Yeah. Um, it was much more visual, but also vibrational, heavy vibrational. So it began, the experience began as if I was strapped on to the back of a nine-foot bumblebee that was flying around from one location to another, and each location had like a different scenario of different characters and even types of beings. Hmm. You know, there were, there were horse people <laughs> in one spot, <laughs> and bees and bumblebees in another. And, um, but it was, uh, you know, I could just feel 
my entire body just <laughs> like actually bouncing yeah to the point of knowing i'm just broken out in a huge sweat did anybody witnessing your experience say that you were shivering or shaking? Oh, yeah, or yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, an actual therapist was there who uh, I came to uh, to know and, and appreciate. And, uh, yeah, she says, oh, yeah, you were just, you were flopping around like a fish. Sorry, I'm trying to get them quick banging doors out there. Yeah, I can't believe you're texting during a podcast. <laughs> Rookie. You're, you know, God, your generation. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't want to keep getting banging going on there. I didn't hear any banging. I doubt any of these listeners heard any banging, but they sure heard that text. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you're bouncing through different dimensions. Um, Any any interaction with the entities of any sort, or just kind of of an observer? Uh, Observer with very you know mild interaction. Kind of like, who are you? What are you doing here? I'm yeah. just going along for the ride. <laughs> you know? but, I mean, super vivid, like you can make out every detail. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, and, you know, I like to ask this question, what do I, you know, what do you have to teach me? What do I have to learn here? No idea. Nothing came. Yeah. Just a wild-ass ride all over the thing, you know, this and many other dimensions, apparently. And uh, it finally ended. And I was like, oh, God, thank God, you know. And uh, the therapist came over and gave me some water, and I was just, I was totally drenched. The bed was totally drenched. And I'm looking around thinking, did you guys give me a bag? Because I probably needed one. I was, yeah. you know, they should have given me a bag. I was severely dehydrated yeah. afterwards. And again, just another, another uh, example of the, medical support that was present that was really insufficient. And, uh, and that might have been the last, if not second to last time I supported a weekend because it just more ridiculous things happened. Some people would be um, re-traumatized. Yeah. Um, uh, the began itself was very helpful for many people, but also there were some people that were harmed. Yeah. You never hear about that. Right. You know, I mean, one guy I, I picked up and he didn't tell me until after the weekend that he downed a, a bottle of tequila the night before he arrived, but he stopped drinking yeah. and he led a really changed and significant life where he really helped a lot of people for the next uh, maybe five years or so. And he died of a heart attack uh, fairly recently, but really, you know, everybody loved the guy. He was really a wonderful dude. And so for him life-changing and saving and had an impact on many others. But then there's another uh, who became a close friend who was a patient at the Brain Treatment Center who had um, had left the teams and gone to work uh, doing contract work for an agency where the, the deployment cycle was three months on, three months off and going into the worst places yeah. constantly. And then he had an experience where, you know, cut some of the details out where he was on the job and he called home for the death of a family member and while he went home then his principal and his team were all murdered and and uh, everything just went you know really downhill and so he had some improvement uh, from the personalized TMS at the Brain Treatment Center in San Diego uh, wasn't enough so I said well you want to check into this only if you go with me, all right. So, you know, it turned out he, he, he was purging for 
you know, 12, 16 hours. Um, came out of it severely dehydrated. Um, got on the plane, went home, and he just said, like, the next six months were the worst six months of his life. So, what's that all about? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There are some people that, uh, you know, everybody's different. Individual differences always apply, and being real careful about that is uh, very important. It's something that, you know, uh, uh, I learned a lot from that experience, supporting that organization. I learned a lot about what not to do. Yeah. And, and then, you know, continue to seek ways to um, improve outcomes and also uh, mitigate risks and ensure that nobody gets re-traumatized or harmed. The, the LSD combination experience, what was the length of duration of that? I think that was also about eight hours, or it might have been a little bit less. Okay. I, I think it might have been maybe just an hour or so less than before. I remember thinking, well, that was, that was shorter, but much more violent, you know. And, and since then, you've done just LSD by itself? I have, yeah, and it was beautiful. What, how would you compare the two, the combination versus just LSD? Oh, LSD by itself, the next time I did it was in Day and the Dead down in Mexico, down near Cabo and El Pescadero. And it was lovely. It was uh, just a, a beautiful experience. So just drastically different visuals, like the, yeah. the, the Ibogaine. Yeah, it, it was also vibrational in that my, my body um, did vibrate quite a lot. But uh, being naked in bed with a woman, that's not such a bad thing. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, but the, there was a, a lot of perspiration and so forth, but it was a joyous, lovely ride as compared to this other one, which was, you know. Bizarre. Duct taped to the back of a nine foot bumblebee. Well, I mean, did you find that fascinating, scary? Not, not scary, because I. I I knew that there was going to be an end to it, right? And I'm just, I was very interested in everything that was going on, but it was harsh, right? And so I was just like, okay, just riding it out. Yeah. Right? And, and trying to um, appreciate all these characters and these stories. And like, there's these, you know, <laughs> these humanoids with heads, horse heads on them, like kings and queens, and you know, <laughs> it was really, really interesting. I've and said I thought, it time wow. and time again. Like, I think <laughs> the things you see in that other realm, whatever that yeah. realm is, is so much more interesting than any movie <laughs> yeah. or TV oh, show yeah. that you can watch in this world. I was like, Am I living inside of a chess game here? What is what is this? this yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting experience. It's not one that I would repeat or, or recommend to anyone. I mean, it's definitely like, no, I don't think that there can be any potential benefit. And it was so harsh that my nervous system really felt like I was sunburned on the inside for the next three weeks. Interesting. Just, you know, everything was fried. Just like, uh, you know, you get a bad sunburn, sunburn the, the, the sheet. Stiff, yeah. You know, it's like, or the shirt or anything. Just like, ah, ooh, ah. Yeah. It was like that for three weeks. Thought, well, what have I done, you know? So, your time being there, did you witness any cardio events with anybody that had gone through the treatment? No, no, okay. no. But it does. I mean, it, you know, one does need to be cautious because if it does, as we suggest, um, change the way that calcium moves through cells, then that could potentially be very beneficial 
in terms of kind of forcing a reset of the timing of all of the astrocytes, which really manage and control and orchestrate the firing rates of neurons, networks of neurons, that, that could be super beneficial, right? And that might be what contributes to this kind of reset that occurs, where because there's a change suddenly in the signaling of all, you know, the wave, calcium wave signaling of all these astrocytes, it might be like a computer getting knocked around and then automatically forcing a reboot. Something of that sort. Yeah. And uh, it made sense to me that it could be beneficial. And I have seen a lot of benefits of Ibogaine for uh, people who have addictions, but also people who have experienced brain trauma. Right. Right. Uh, what you see with brain trauma, you know, the, the head gets impacted or blast over pressure or whatever. When there's injury to the brain, the area that is injured slows down, right? in order to allow for healing to occur, but most often it doesn't speed up again. Right. And so when you have a healthy brain, the entire cortex is firing at roughly the same frequency. Top of the bell curve is 10.2 hertz, posterior and frontal. Right? Um, when you have someone uh, exposed for to high tension or high threat environment for a prolonged period of time, because the brain is constantly adapting to environment and experience, it shifts resources. So if you're in high threat, high tension, long period of time, posterior brain gets more resources. So it upregulates your capacity to monitor the environment. You go a very large antenna, right? And what you hear and see and feel and your facial expressions, all the unconscious stuff as well. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And so you wind up with these eight, eight lane superhighways in the, in the posterior brain. Um, but somebody gets shortchanged. Right? Brain has a fixed energy budget. Right. So if suddenly 80% is going to posterior brain and that exists or, or continues for a prolonged period of time, then the prefrontal cortex, home of executive function, gets shortchanged. And you, want, you might wind up with these two-lane country roads, right? right? Where you're supposed to be able to make sense of all that information in the back. And as a result, you wind up with degradations in your capacity to you know, pay attention and focus, concentrate, decision-making, emotional regulation, all these things kind of degrade. And uh, there's this old Lucille Ball skit where the two women are packing chocolates that come down a conveyor belt, and they're doing fine until it speeds up, and then they're like shoving them in their mouth and in their yeah. bras and everything. I've seen it, yeah. And that, you know, that's, I think, what happens with a lot of people, um, veterans, military, first responders, or just children of alcoholics or whatever, where you're in high tension or high threat for a prolonged period of time. And you get this massive amount of information coming in from your antenna, your large antenna, and you can't make sense of it. So that creates anxiety, it drives avoidance and self-medication or to quiet the noise and all that stuff happens. So, but if you can, and you can see it in an EEG, right? And that was part of the, the objective of the treatment that we provided at the Brain Treatment Center was to kind of balance things out. And so usually it was much slower in the prefrontal cortex. And so that's where you would place the coil and stimulate it at a faster rate. And by doing so, that exercise that provided a stimulus that your body would respond to, right? And the adaptive response was upregulating the capacity to pro provide fuel as well as remove waste product. The same thing that happens if you're training a muscle. Mm -hmm. It just tends to happen a lot fa faster in the brain. Yeah. And that shift of resources then quiets down the posterior brain. And as, you, at that, as that imbalance right, begins to balance, then symptoms would fade away. Yeah. It's really you know, incredible to see, to observe.
I mean, it was fascinating to look at my pre and post EEG results working with you in the yeah. research study because you could, it, it was visible. You could I mean, see the only, change, right? Only, I mean, my treatment in the chair, what's that, 30 minutes tops? Yeah, yeah. And to see the haywire at the beginning and then yeah. just smooth yeah. signal afterwards. And that's what we were seeking by providing that personalized form of TNS, although it would take six to eight weeks in order for that kind of regulation to occur, that balancing of activity to occur. And it would only happen in one out of three people. Yeah. Right. Which is why I was, which is great, much better and really helpful for that one out of three where they've tried everything else, including multiple medications, right? Can be life changing, but still, you know, not good enough. Right. Plus we were having some issues, safety issues that weren't being addressed uh, by the company while they were trying to, you know, sell the technology. And, um, so that drove me to, to look under every stone and continue to find ways to improve outcomes. And that led me to the psychedelics. And that's what most psychedelics do is they promote global synchronous firing. Mm -hmm. So for the period of time that you are under their influence, your brain is operating in a way that is very, very efficient. Right? And that, again, that stimulus, is, that's firing up areas that have been too slow. Right. Right. That's that's waking up areas that have been depressed through emotional blunting, right, or uh, a lack of creative expression and so forth. All these things, they get stimulated, and they start to do what they're supposed to do, and then all of a sudden, one is like, "Whoa, I'm, I'm different." Right. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you just go right back to the diet and lifestyle that brought you there in the first place, then those benefits are going to unwind, and so that's a large part. That's a huge opportunity is uh, helping people become aware of what they can do to in order to change patterns of thought and behavior. And that's also one of the things, problems I had with the way the doctor was running things down there. At the end of the weekend, you know, guys would say, well, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do now? And what am I supposed to do if things get worse again? He says, well, just, you know, go back to your life. But if, if things don't work out, we'll just come back in six months, which is a great business model. Right. But that, that doesn't promote success for the individual, right? And there wasn't anything really done during the experience to help people understand, you know, what subconscious programmings have been running usually since childhood right. that, you know, exist that came into existence in order to promote survival, but don't serve you well anymore. Yeah. And the awareness of those things is huge because when they begin to be activated, there's a pause and you can choose differently. You know, you could, oh, wait, I recognize what that is. I know where it came from, but I also know where it's taken me, which is not good for me. And you can begin, you know, to, to craft new patterns of behavior, new, new self-talk, you know, beliefs, uh, transform limiting beliefs, changes, change behaviors of pattern, uh, excuse me, patterns of, of behavior. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable what's, what's possible really. I mean, the Ibogaine itself though, I think that it, it appears to me as though that it can be a tool that would be very beneficial for promoting kind of a reset of the firing rate of networks of neurons in the brain. It's good for a whole lot of different reasons, um, for uh, addiction. Um, it just has to be used very carefully, and the medical personnel you know, need to be uh, people who are actually practiced at what they do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the doctors, they're, they're supposed to be watching the EKGs, but I would constantly catch them just on their cell phones in the corner, not doing anything, not paying any attention to what's going on. Right? Super dangerous. 
Yeah, and it just wasn't getting addressed. So eventually, I just yeah, and there were a few other things that made it very clear that the doctor was unethical and uh, untrustworthy. Uh, lied to me on a couple of occasions and put people's safety and freedom at risk as a result of his behavior. And so I, I split and uh, began to search for ways to more safely provide in accurately dose the 5-MeO-DMT, because to me that did seem to be the most powerful tool. Right. But also, one in every six or seven people that I saw administered the toad venom, the torch and the pipe, would have hellish experiences. And uh, some of them felt pretty horrible afterwards, right? And felt worse off. Yeah. And then I, there were a couple of women that I know, whom we did not serve though, who experienced severe symptoms of PTSD after their toad experience. Um, both, of them, both of whom had previously uh, experienced uh, sexual trauma mm-hmm. and just you know began to look into it and you know, there's a much better way we've and now that's what's being applied. Yeah, the, the thing you hear always about Ibogaine, what's mostly in the media and everything is talking about its ability for curing opiate addicts or addicts of any sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you have since branched off and developed your own protocol, which is very successful with everybody I've seen that has gone through it. What have you, have you worked with people with addictions and what kind of rates yeah. of success have you seen with addiction specifically? Yeah, yeah. So we've... Uh we we've worked with a lot of people who have uh, addiction issues and we have had people who have stopped smoking the next day stopped drinking that the next day um reduce their abuse of alcohol or even cannabis um, haven't felt the need mm-hmm. for the anxiety relieving effects of cannabis after the fact um, a, a lot of that kind of activity. Although I have to say that we have not served a um, heroin addict, and a lot of heroin addicts have been helped by ibogaine. Um, the other thing is that the the five meo DMT itself also has very strong anti addictive properties. And so I began to question whether was it really ibogaine or was it the five meo or was right. it a combination of the two that were driving those effects? Because the people that had the anti addictive outcomes experienced exposure to both yeah and the fact that that one and both of them were occasionally harming people so some of the people had a horrible ibogaine they'd say fuck this i'm not going to do the five meo and they'd split yeah and some people would have an ibogaine experience that they felt good about and then have a horrible five meo experience the toad venom experience Mm -hmm. and then fuck this i'm never doing this again and you know never hear from them again so um I feel very, very good about the anti-addictive properties of uh, 5-MeO-DMT, right. particularly when it happens to be uh, stacked with uh, MDMA and there's a, a psycholytic process exploring a person's life and everything that has contributed to their addiction, for yeah. instance, and that awareness um, and the very balancing effects of the 5-MeO on, on, on the, the brain itself can wash that stuff away, it can facilitate very rapid change. So I'm still, uh, you know, I'm not, not certain really if Ibogaine is uh, responsible for those outcomes more than 5-MeO or 5-MeO could do what Ibogaine has done with opi- opioid addiction because we've served people who have had challenges with opioids as well yeah. who have gone completely off. So difficult to know. 
difficult to tell. But it does make sense to me that, that uh, ibogaine changing the way calcium moves through cell could have a positive impact on the calcium wave signaling of astrocytes in the brain, which could promote a kind of a reboot in terms of the, the timing of information flow. Yeah. Because it's all about timing. If you've got in, inefficient timing and you have a, a big difference in the frequency f a firing rate of neural networks, that's going to make it very difficult for them to pass information along. Yeah. To neighboring neurons and networks and for everything to make sense yeah which but then again you know you go to 5-MeO which promotes this global synchronous firing at a higher frequency gamma frequency and that's where you get all these insights where you're just like oh everything just makes sense yeah maybe that's the same kind of thing that's happening you know so so yeah I've only had those two experiences and uh, my support of uh, those treatments was less than a year and I know a lot of people who have had very good experiences as a result. But also, we have wound up receiving a bunch of people who have had negative outcomes doing that treatment and scenario treatment, in Mexico, right. and and then wind up saying, "Oh my God, this is oh so much better." You know, why? You know, yeah, it's um, it's just terribly interesting. Yeah. But one thing I can say is that we've we've not sent anybody over the edge and not sent anybody home. Um, having severe symptoms of PTSD. So nobody's not had any of the negative experiences I witnessed down in Mexico with a different approach, just more careful approach. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you, you know, it's not just the Ibogaine itself, right, but it's the facilitator. Right? For sure. So I would never recommend anybody go to that Mexican doctor. Yeah. And thankfully, Amber put a lot of effort into finding a better facilitator yeah and she found somebody who had a clinic up in canada with a great track record and and now he is running the program down in mexico so vets is completely disconnected from what yeah the yeah was. that yeah the doctor apart from being um you know unethical <laughs> dishonorable and untrustworthy and everything he behaved and his behavior with them was very problematic and it took a while to get disconnected from him. Yeah. But they did, thankfully. And they have somebody who I've had a conversation with who I've referred people to. Okay. Right. That specifically were looking for Ibogaine and had addiction issues. I'm like, gotcha. okay, go see this guy. Yeah. And did you follow up? Do you know what the outcome was with vets? Uh, yeah. Well, with vets. Uh, did, did, was he sent to vets with Amber component? Uh, well, he was sent to the clinic where, so they basically contract him. Okay. Right. And so he has a clinic, so he also serves other people. Yeah. And uh, so vets has a certain number, you know, a, a month to go through. Okay. He has in more capacity in that. So others come in uh, that aren't being funneled by vets. Gotcha. Yeah. And so far they've had, you've seen good outcomes. Yeah. With yeah. Him. None of the kind of crap that happened yeah. with that Mexican doctor yeah. gotcha well yeah like I said thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking through this like I said Abergain has been one that's fascinated me for a while but I was realistically that was the one I was most afraid of because of the cardio events I didn't know how common they were mm. and I mean that does give me some sense of ease knowing that you saw somebody who was rather unethical with the yeah. way that they treated the the process and yeah but you do go get saw. an ekg beforehand that gets evaluated right. by a cardiologist so yeah. there's specific signs that they can look for to determine you know whether or not there is a risk and what kind of risk is involved and so if there's a slight risk 
um, and then age is uh, an issue, then they might reduce the dose, yeah. for instance, uh, which is also something else that I, I found problematic with uh, the Mexican doctor. Is that he, he seemed to be going about it in a way that really just was uh, drove more business. Yeah. Right. So partial effects, you know, just go go back home, do what you've been doing, live the life the way you've been living it that brought you here in the first place. And then, you know, if, if the benefits don't stick for too long, just come back. Come see us for another six grand or 10 grand yeah, or whatever it, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that was crazy to me. Right. And so that there were some people whom I know um, who didn't have any issues on their EKG, but they were given low doses. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, why? You know, when yeah. there's another clinic in Mexico that's giving doses that uh, are three times more than the dose he was giving, and they're right. having good results and no negative outcomes. And yeah, so it's, um, it's really all of these psychedelics have tremendous potential, but in whose hands, you know, and how are they used? Right. And of course, the set and setting is incredibly important, and the the settings there were great. They had really good, caring people who are, you know, prepping food and just looking after the folks. But the people who are actually driving the uh, facilitation and utilization of these molecules uh, were just second rate, in my view. Yeah. I think that covers everything. All right. Thank you so much for sitting in on this and everything you've done for me over the past year. Um, I really do think that, that that research study gave me something that I don't think anything else could have. I mean, those three days following and knowing what it feels like, what that EKG showed, that yeah. just complete sense of balance and reset. Um, I had a, a buddy yesterday talking to me about anxiety and how everybody has some level of anxiety. And I was like, I don't. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, you're not supposed to. Like, yeah. and, and you yeah. can fix that. And you don't fix that with Xanax. That is not the way to do yeah. it. A large part of that has to do, I believe, with the fact that you put in a lot of work beforehand, right? Right. And you really prepped yourself and got, taken yourself to a point where it didn't really take much to put you over the top yeah. and clean the slate, you know, and optimize brain function. Yeah. And that's what your experience was. And I think it's appropriate, too, to say, you know, you've talked about that study and so forth, is that uh, my background with the EEGs uh, at the Brain Treatment Center really... I really wanted to see what was happening yeah. in brains, right? And so, so we partnered with a precision neuropsychiatry company that could uh, analyze the EEG data and captured pre and post on you know over sixty people, and and the findings were what I expected. It, it, one was a surprise though. So one ten standard deviation increase in gamma frequency, gamma frequency brain firing rate is super beneficial for many different things, right? Including just activating the lymphatic system to clear brain waste, which contributes, if you don't do it, contributes to Alzheimer's, dementia, and brain fog. And then uh, the other is, and then also that global synchronous firing, right? Balancing out the activity, you get a, a decrease in anxiety and brain fog, an increase in just general awareness, and all of your executive functions pump up a little bit. Right? Yeah. But one thing that we would hope for and get in one out of three patients after six to eight weeks of personalized TMS was uh, an increase in peak alpha of one hertz. And peak alpha is a biomarker of cognitive horsepower, which affects a very wide range of, of functional capabilities. And, reading comprehension just all over the map right? 
So six to eight weeks of treatment, once a day, five days a week. That's a very long time, very expensive. You get one hertz increase. And we also captured not just 5-MeO exposure alone, but our, our full day, what we feel like is our most powerful tool, is a full day journey that starts with MDMA and you've got cyclotic process for could be two and a half, three and a half, four hours. Kind of just looking back at all the events that contributed to a person's self-concept, right? And uh, and then later on the 5-MeO, and that can that has gone anywhere from two to like five hours, uh, dependent upon the individual because they have agency and they can step up slowly and carefully themselves. Where after lifting up all of these things that they've experienced in life, it's all on the table, and then suddenly they've got this just this super efficient brain that's operating better than ha- ever has. And insights just comes like, oh, of course, that's why this. So, well, that's what that's about, right? And just have this opportunity to just, re, you know, really rewire to, to process and integrate in real time in that environment. And we we found with that we got a 1.25 hertz increase in peak alpha in one day. Yeah. More than six to eight weeks of TMS treatment. It's like yeah. holy shit. I mean, we knew that the effects were were profound. Right. right, and very, very powerful. Um, but it was pretty amazing to see that. Powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I think we'll call it at that. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the toughest things about leaving San Diego is going to be, you know, saying goodbye to you know, all the family that I've made here. Yeah. And I'm going to miss you guys. And I look very much look forward to seeing you guys in the Caribbean. And well, you out. get to make new family down there. There you right? go. And then, of course, invite current family get you guys there yeah <laughs> all right i've not been to st thomas but one of my old platoon mates is down there so i look forward to visiting perfect yeah well thanks again man and until next time all right love you really bravo good work bro enjoy